Hello and welcome to Fireside with VC. With the VC, my name is Andrew Romans, and today we've got Jonathan Fish from QSBS Expert talking to us about QSBS. So, if you don't know what QSBS is, you should know. If you invest in startups or you invest in VC funds or both, so QSBS is Qualified Small Business Stock. And it's a pretty crazy exemption, which is at some risk of disappearing in certain states or from the country altogether. So we're going to find everything you need to know about QSBS today. So Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me on, Andrew. So we're going to talk about your business, QSBS Expert. But first, for those that don't know, what is it? What does it mean? Yeah, it's uh, the $10 million question, I guess. <laughs> the, what is QSPS? So it's it's a tax incentive to incentivize investment in early stage companies. And the government has various uh, similar programs, some to invest in regions of the country, like covered by opportunity zones, or to invest in certain populations. And you know, with with QSBS, it's focused on investing in small businesses. And you know, driving investments into into those businesses. Right. So the key moving parts. Uh, what characteristics does a company need to have to qualify for QSBS tax treatment to start with? Yeah. Um, so there there are five basic criteria. So number one, you have to be a C corp. Uh, a lot of companies convert from an LLC to a C-Corp. So that's that's okay, but the, the QSBS stock can't start counting until the company is a C-Corp. So you have to be a C-Corp. There's certain, uh, there's a qualified trade or business criteria. So uh, basically they define this in the negative in the, in the, the tax law, where there are certain types of, businesses that are excluded. And those would be businesses like where, the way I think of it is where an individual is the, the business there, you know, so a, a CPA working as, a, uh, as an account, an accountant as a CPA or a doctor uh, servicing patients as a doctor, uh, th those wouldn't be the types of businesses that could qualify. Uh, then there, then there are certain industries that are um, not allowed. So, like brokerage or health, and this gets tricky because, you know, what what if you're a, a fintech company that provides some brokerage-related services? You right. know, the, the, so that starts to to get a little tricky to navigate. Um, so, so C corp, qualified trader business. This, the size criteria is really determined by gross assets. So not, not the valuation of the business, but the actual assets on the balance sheet. Right. And, and the IRS defines a small business for this purpose as less than $50 million in gross assets when before, the stock is issued. So, so before we go further, just to cut to the punchline, if our venture capital fund or if my brother invests into a QSBS qualified stock business. And we, we normally, if you hold it for a year or more, you're paying capital gains tax on that. If you hold it for five years in a day, 
how much tax do you pay? Right now, zero. So, so you pay zero on the gain. So you invest a million dollars, you make $11 million back. So you have a gain of $10 million and you pay zero ordinary income tax, capital gains tax set down to zero on this investment because you paid attention and you know what QSBS is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you brought up an interesting figure because there is a cap. The cap is $10 million. So or 10 times your basis. So whichever is greater. And, um, and, and so, you know, there, there are tax planning strategies that could be employed to, to optimize for the tax savings, but exactly, exactly what you were saying. So now, now there, there are two other key criteria, because like mm -hmm. the question always comes back to, well, is the company a qualified small business to begin with? And this is what a lot of folks struggle with is, okay, I, ha I had this gain. Uh, now, how I, I'd like to take the QSBS exemption. I think it's qualified, but how do I prove that? And so there are two other elements, and these are probably the trickiest elements to prove. One is we discussed the 50, less than $50 million in gross assets, but the then there's what they call an active business requirement. And this really is where you have to demonstrate that the company used those assets primarily for the qualified trade or business. And so that, that gets a little tricky. Things like research and development, or, or were they sitting with too much cash for too long? You know, those, those types of questions come into play. And, and then there's the, the last element is uh, a disqualifying action that there, there are certain actions that could disqualify a company from uh, uh, being eligible for QSBS. And uh, the main one being uh, stock redemptions where the company buys back shares of its own stock. And so the, there are different ways to look at this, but basically there's a materiality threshold. And if the company repurchased more than that materiality threshold, they could jeopardize the eligibility of other stock that was issued uh, within a year before or after the, that, the repurchase. And would that, I mean, sometimes you see a founder really does something horrible and ends up basically gifting their stock back to the company to avoid the consequences of maybe what they did. And so all of a sudden, we own 10% of the business and they're gone. We own 13% of the business or something. I wonder, is that the company buying the stock back? I don't think so. I think the stock just disappears. So the denominator gets smaller. That probably is, is not a disqualifying. It sounds like there, you're talking about a stock buyback. Yeah, there, there are different types of... So you have to look at the nature of the the stock repurchase. And so there are certain repurchases that are allowed and that could be termination of an employee, death, um, divorce. There, there are different situations like that where you know things happen in life and um, you know the, the company is not the company is not doing it to refinance the business. Basically, a way to think about the stock repurchases is the 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 government, you know, the IRS in this case is is very focused on 
how companies are using their assets. They want you to be using your assets towards the qualified trader business. So if a company is using their assets to like, namely cash to, to buy back shares, to, you know, for, to help themselves with yeah, the that doesn't fit with the whole kind of jobs act mentality of, uh, of, of stimulating the economy. Exactly. And giving an exemption to investors to drive that. So, so okay. So then, the big, the big qualifying bits are, it's essentially almost a hundred percent of the things we invest in. But you want to invest in companies if you want to get this tax break that have, on their balance sheet, under fifty million dollars of assets plus the size of the round. So, if it's deemed to be forty-five million in assets on the balance sheet, and you invest five million dollar financing into it, you've just screwed yourself by pushing it into the 50 million zone. And so there is no more QSBS. And so when we're doing a series C, you know, into these companies, it's QSBS is long gone there. Yeah. And it's an interesting point. And part of, part of what we try to do is help companies proactively manage this. So, you know, to view, their business activities from a QSBS lens. So like, just to give you an example, we had a situation with an, um, an advisor to a company who had stock options that he was mm. granted from being an advisor early on. Uh, I forget the date, but he, he exercised his stock options and then um, a, he realized, oh, the company did a financing round um, around that time. Turns out four months before he exercised his options, they did exactly what you're saying. They they had about $20 million in gross assets and they raised 30. And so then uh, that, that round wasn't able to qualify for QSBS. And any stock that was issued after that round. Now, with stock options, he had these years before, but it's not when you're granted the options; it's when you exercise when you them. Exercise. In the case of stock options, and and so right. he missed the the exemption by four months in in that case. Right. So you might think your cashless warrants or options are good to exercise at the minute of the liquidity event, it might make sense to be like, how much do I have to fork over in cash? Do, and, 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 and does that mean that I would have to buy my stock options or exercise them and hold them for five years in a day? Yes, yeah, that's okay. the, your holding period, your five-year holding period starts yeah. when you exercise. Right, so we should have said this at the beginning of the call. So, so what this is all about is invest in a company where their balance sheet assets plus the size of the financing is under 50 million. And you hold your, you could sell a little bit early, but you're gonna pay capital gains on that. QSBS exemption comes in when it's, you've held it for five years and a day, unless there's rolling it. So, so five years in a day, that's the typical thing. And made the investment, five years in a day goes by, I sell, I have this great gain. I pay zero capital gains on the first $10 million or 10X my cost basis. So if I invested 2 million and made 20 million, then whatever's bigger, 20 million bigger than 10, I pay zero capital gain on the 20 million. And that's, yep. that's pretty sweet if you're the investor. Yeah, it's great. And it's it's made even sweeter by some of these tax planning strategies, which might be um, 
good to bring up now because uh, yeah. you know it, um, so where sometimes people if you know you're gonna have a large gain you could gift shares into trusts say for a child or family member and the trust also benefits from the 10 million dollar or 10 times your basis uh, uh, ex exemption right so so just to follow that so if you've got a gain that's bigger than 10 or bigger than 10x your cost basis you can gift the shares prior to the sale of the shares yeah, so yeah exactly before, so before you realize cash exit consideration if you gift if you can see I'm heading into a hundred million dollar exit, I could potentially make 10 gifts to different, you know, LLC estates. And um, they each benefit from QSBS treatment of up to 10 million potentially there. Yeah, potentially there, there are considerations, you know, you, you have to be a, a little weary of, of doing this uh, yeah, the, I think so. uh, and that the, um, when it has to be done properly, but, you know the 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 irs is certainly very very weary of like um folks doing this just to avoid taxes you know so so you could do a, a few of them you can't necessarily do a billion dollars worth of trusts yeah listen i generally think people should pay tax and especially the people that were the first investors in uber should be paying tax and not paying zero tax and the balancing act is like Alan Patrikoff talking about um, why would you terminate the single most effective stimulus to the economy that's creating all these jobs. So we'll get to that in a minute. So just to yeah, yeah. And Alan was one of the 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 folks that helped create this back in '93. So it's you know he's he's got a lot of a lot of insights as to you know why the why this is an important piece of. Uh, legislation and you know what it was intended to do and um you know and and what's kind of at risk if things change right and so let's talk about the history and what the future is of qsbs so 1993 you said was was that when this came into being and alan patrickoff you know graycroft apex fame and lore was behind the drafting of the original legislation. Yeah, one of one of the contributors, and yeah, exactly. In in ninety three, it was um, written and and then rolled out. You know, an entrepreneur with a great idea who's never run a company. You know, the American dream to to help uh, invest in people like that who, you know, have. Um, uh, are lucky enough to find uh, an investor willing to take a chance on them and um you know have have an idea that might turn into something so that's that's what was behind it and, and it, was, it started back in 93 as a 50 percent right. tax exclusion and it was later increased to 75 percent of an exclusion and it gets a little complicated from a tax standpoint, but there are certain tax addbacks that made it less meaningful when it was less than 100% of an exemption. And it was kicked up to 100% of an exemption during the Obama administration in, in 2010. And 
as part of the Jobs Act back then, um, and really started, and and that was for investments made then. So it still had to be five years until people met the five-year holding period. So it was really in late 2015 when folks started to to recognize 100% QSBS gain exclusions. Right. And then, you know, in the last two years now, we've had a, a ton of exit events. And, you know, so it's really started to, to hit the scene um, over the, over the last couple of years. Sure. You know, it's not that it's not this, this is not unique to the United States. Like the UK has EIS enterprise investment scheme and SCIS and France has always had that. We have LPs from all these countries that invest in our funds and gripe a little bit that like, if I invest into this local fund, it may not perform as well as yours, but I avoid paying any capital gains on this capital up to a limit that I put into a qualifying fund that's going to invest in French domiciled startups or the same EIS. But those things get a little nasty. Like EIS, you're basically buying ordinary shares. You're not allowed to have preferred shares with a liquidation preference and mm-hmm. kind of a, a bunch of rights and privileges that you know are probably good. But um, so so with the infrastructure bill or the what is it build build back better. Uh, legislation, there is some talk about how are we going to pay for this multi-trillion dollar spending spree. And I think they've identified on an annual basis, the amount of lost revenue not being paid to the IRS from people that legitimately documented in good order their QSBS investments is, what's the number that you've seen? Uh, Well, $5.7 billion. And this is actually- over 10 years, exactly. So this is from the Joint Committee on Taxation. So uh, they, they released their, their study just a week ago, so the end of September 2020, 2021, uh, with projections out over the next 10 years. So we're talking about five or $600 million per year in revenue, additional revenue that the they project the government will receive as a result of enacting changes, the, right. the proposed changes that they're proposing to QSBS. I mean, I was just helping uh, my 13-year-old son with some algebra, and they're like, if Susie spends this much on her monthly Spotify account and pays this much for each download, how much does how many songs does she have to download for it to be you know beneficial to switch to the higher paying? subscription with a lower per song download. And it's like, this is a no brainer algebra equation to me that what is better for the revenue coming into the coffers of the IRS, allowing for $570 million of tax exemption on QSPS, which we've now explained, and having no payroll tax on the jobs of that would not be created if we reduce the volume of money going into investing in QSBS qualifying small businesses in this in this country. Yeah, and that's really what our position is. You know, it's okay, 
yeah, you might make five point seven billion dollars, and the the over ten the years. amount of z over ten years compared to three point five trillion in cost for this legislation, and so it's it there are a lot of zeros in there, and it's it it comes to of uh, about uh, 0.0016, so it's uh, less than one percent, uh, sixteen hundredths of one uh, percent of the total cost of this Build Back Better plan, and you know, which granted, like the government needs to identify ways to generate revenue, you know, tax revenue from all different sources, and they they add up to to the amount that they're trying to to raise to to fund this plan. But to your point, like what what's lost if they take this away? You know, how many investors are going to shy away from investing in uh, people who have a, a, a great idea, you know, and the next, the next big idea. And so it's uh, the, the piece that, that seems to be missing is just that, like, does this really negatively impact innovation? And, you know, where, where might it impact innovation the most? Like, you know, there, there are certain states in the country that have a lot of wealthy investors and the entrepreneurship community is close by and they, they have more access than other parts of the country where, you know, you, you don't have billionaires funding companies and, you know, and, and it is more, um, you know, ind individuals who, who are taking a chance on people or, you know, smaller angel investors and uh, early stage VCs. So it's the, the ramifications could be, could be really large. And I don't know that there's any great study on what's, what could be lost. You know, most of the, most of the studies out there are, you know, is it, is it really 5.7 billion or could it be double Look, I that, think, you know? I think this is the US government kicking itself in the nuts and dragging us down with them for, for bad algebra. I think that um, even I, I've, I've explained QSBS to investors before they invest in my venture capital fund that we get QSBS and that passes through to them as a US taxpayer. Even yeah. if you're a green card holder in India, that's paying tax in the United States. QSBS as an LP in the fund is part of what's happening here. Um, and they can feel a little better about putting money into a fund that gives us a little more dry powder to fund one more company that could be the one that makes 10,000 jobs that has payroll tax and a multiplier effect of people spending that money like it was a stimulus check, right? Um, and I think the other one is what is what is the total size of this uh, infrastructure bill now? Three three point three point five trillion. Also, three point five trillion. So three point five trillion to be spent over what period of time? Over ten years. Over ten years compared to five point seven billion. Yeah. Over ten years. Um, well, you know, if they take it away, I'm cool with it. I like the idea of our LPs getting a break and being more excited about being part of everything that we're doing here. Um, but when you see at the state level, 
they say, oh, you're never going to leave Silicon Valley or New Jersey. So tell us about the states that have decided to not um, go along with the federal government's initiative here. Yeah, it's it's an interesting history with all the states. And you mentioned countries as well and how other countries treat QS, uh, treat capital gains. You know, so some some or countries have, breaks. have, have, they, have they, no. Yeah, they deem to say this startup qualifies for the SEA, for the enterprise investment scheme. Yeah. So if you invest into that, you don't pay any gain if you put that money in the same year into it's like it's like a red zone you know, opportunity zone kind of thing. Sure. So, they've, sure. so even if they lose, even if they lose 100% of their investment, they're like, well, I was paying 40% on that on that 100K anyway. And, yeah. Yeah. So along those lines, you know, every state in the U.S., treats QSPS slightly differently. There are a few major buckets. Some states conform fully to the federal government, you know, and accept, okay, you're exempt at the federal government level. You're also exempt at the state level, no capital gains taxes. Other states say, no, they're, they're not conforming at all. Some uh, like New Jersey and Connecticut are, are two of them. There are a handful of states that that don't accept QSBS. So even though you're ex- doesn't New Jersey say that if the startup, if the small business is in the state of New Jersey, you get the exemption. We're just not going to pay for you to fund guys out in California. There there are different states that that do that. I I believe the latest information we have on New Jersey is that they don't uh accept okay um qsbs at, at all uh, there was a uh, there was a bill proposed it, well it, it proposed in 2018 that that never that would have allowed qsbs that that was uh confirmed dead or failed as of january 8th 2020 so um there there have been attempts to enable um uh, QSBS gains to be accepted in in New Jersey and and other states where um, where it, it traditionally hasn't been uh, allowed. Um, but the the latest we had on on New Jersey was that it's it's no longer allowed. Um, California similarly, as of 2013, uh, st- stopped allowing QSBS exemptions at the state level in California as uh, the nation's highest. Um, state capital gains tax of 13.3%. So even though you're exempt at the federal level, you're still, if you're a California resident, still subject to uh, the the state capital gains tax. Yeah. And I think for listeners, it's important to remember, this is not applying to Bessemer writing a $100 million check at a $900 million pre-money valuation for the latest just shoving money around. And a lot of these guys in Connecticut and New Jersey are just writing such big checks. They never, they were never going anywhere near QSBS to, to begin with. This is more, I think, for real venture capital, for real early stage, you know, you know, stuff. And Alan Patrickroft going from Apex down to a 50 million Graycroft when he first did that, I thought was brilliant. I'm saying I want to be early. You know, I yeah. want to be involved in helping make decisions and and move these companies. Do you know, Jonathan? Um, are, are you familiar with safes 
you know, you know, like there's convertible notes and safes. Sure. You, you, you know what this is as, as an entrepreneur. If, if, if I invest from a fund or as an individual into QSBS experts next financing round, and it comes in on a safe note, like that wide combinator invention, what is your understanding of uh, the clock beginning to tick on this being five years in a day or qualifying for a rollover to get to five years? Yeah, there, there are um, various schools of thought on this, but the, I guess if you, if you start with convertible notes, which preceded safes, um, convertible notes are thought to be more debt-like. You know, it's a debt instrument, it bears interest and has has a repayment obligation, you know, under under certain conditions. So the um, because it's more debt like, it's a bit clearer that that's not equity, and QSBS is intended for equity. So convertible notes don't apply. Uh, QSBS clock doesn't start until convertible notes convert. Yeah. For safes, it's a simple agreement for future equity. Right. And so it's always intended to be an equity investment. Um, it's, it's a bit murkier. The Y Combinator released a, the, the latest version of the safe is the post money safe. And it's not really a question of if it's, if it's pre money or post money, but it's um, the, the post money safe they included certain provisions to make it more akin to equity. So, and, and the IRS has really some, some um, uh, private letter rulings where they said uh, that they don't really care about having an actual stock certificate. They care about the economic substance of the security. And so, you know, if the economic substance is more equity-like, you know, then there, that's really more uh, reason to start the QSBS clock at, at issuance. So there, there are certain items uh, within the post-money safe, such as um, voting rights, dividend rights, if there's a... Um, a liquidation of the company, that that safe is treated as though it were preferred equity and would be received proceeds first. So all those types of elements were were added to it to make it more equity-like and start the QSBS clock when it's issued. So I think that, I mean, I personally think don't play games with the IRS and pay your taxes and avoid aggressive, murky being used in a sentence with your decision on what you're doing with your tax. And if you were to not pay capital gains tax on a big, a big outcome and then have it and then be liable to pay it back later would be a horrible thing. I think, I think that convertible notes are good in certain situations, especially when the total size of the financing is very small. And when you see the size of the financing or uh, a well-known law firm is ready to do a priced round financing at a fixed rate, and you don't see your funding going largely into that, I say do the funding round. And you know you've got QSBS, you're documented, you're ready to go forward in the journey. 
if it's a safe, um, I think like you haven't seen precedents in courts really, you know, rule over the interpretation of a safe being a pure equity instrument when I think to some extent it's a promissory note. But the fact that there's no maturity date, it doesn't ever have to be paid back. Um, let me ask you another question, which is triggered by this is valuation. So, you know, some people say, oh, invest in my uncapped safe note. Um, so the more I help the company, the less of it I own. <laughs> when it converts, you know, thanks to me, we introduced Lady Gaga. She tweets a billion downloads. Now I convert at a billion dollar pre-money valuation where it should have been 10 or five or eight. Um, you said valuation is not necessarily the determining factor. It's assets on the balance sheet, which would include cash on the balance sheet at, at the time of your, including your, inclusive of your investment or the total round, right? Um, yeah, ex exactly. So, it's so valuation really doesn't mean it. Like so, so pre-money valuation of two hundred and fifty million, but we took a good damn look at the balance sheet, and that's a real twenty twenty one valuation. Like exactly, yeah, the valuation you know, doesn't, doesn't come into play for QSBS purposes, you know, for, um, for other purposes, uh, certainly like uh, safe conversion. Uh, it's a, a, an entrepreneur would love to have a, a, a no cap, <laughs> no, no cap note, you know, because the valuation cap uh, that's in the note helps determine how much the the safe will convert into, um, but but for QSBS purposes, it's it's the assets on the balance sheet, not the um, uh, potential value of those. Okay, assets. and so you know, speaking from QSBS expert, your company, what are best practices that we investors should follow? Whether we're investing directly in the startup or investing in a fund, or we're the fund and want to make sure QSBX is maximized to RLPs. Uh, to get the best damn investment and be good at what we do. What are best practices we should cover? And then I want to talk about what you guys do. Yeah, yeah. I think the best practices really come down to one, as part of your due diligence, are you uh, reviewing QSBS eligibility? Um, two, uh, as part of your term sheets or your... Um, in investment documents, are you uh, holding the companies accountable to to monitor their QSBS status? And uh, th those would be the primary ways. I, the other thing funds do often is is at the upon an exit, they uh, will uh, survey the company or request that the company validate that their shares were qualified for QSBS. Um, but, and, and that, you know, maybe to segue to what we're doing is, is kind of flipping that to say, well, wait a minute, a company could jeopardize their eligibility during, after you make your investment until your exit. So, um, why wait until the the exit to validate the QSBS eligibility? Let's proactively address it. Let's uh, start to monitor this from day one, from either when you made your investment or for the company's sake, you know, when when they uh, got got set up and founded. 
And so we created a, a, a platform, our, our platform allows companies to do just that, to um, look at the, the, these criteria for being a qualified small business and assess themselves against the criteria and then to contemporaneously document uh, to have a paper trail as they grow to, to be able to validate at, at these various points along their life cycle if they continue to meet the criteria so that one day when there is the exit, they're able to say to, to their investors, yep, the, our shares qualified, here's, here's the documentation to, to support taking the tax exemption. And so it's, it's, it's really as simple as that. There, there are two key questions our platform really addresses from a company perspective is number one, uh, does, does the company qualify? And number two, which shareholders are most likely to care about this? So, you know, all the, what we were discussing about safes and common equity, and you might have restricted stock and preferred, they, they all have different timelines. They all need to be assessed for the redemption period a year before and a year after the, the, their issuances. So yeah, the, our platform also allows you to look on a security by security level to, to validate that the security um, met the eligibility requirements. Yeah, I could imagine Carta wanting to buy your company at some point and just plug this into their end-to-end -end, end -end thing, which raises the question on founders. So sometimes I tell founders, in my books that if you're investing money in your own startup, you should maybe do it on a convertible note yourself um, and be in the preferred liquidation stack. So if you ended up putting a million bucks into your company and it gets sold for half of the funding, at least you go home and tell your spouse, hey, we got a 500K paycheck and that 13 years was a bad use of time, but at least here's 500K, let's move to Mexico. Um, you know, um, but but it might make sense to document how you're funding your company as an entrepreneur to be able to get a 10x on your cost base as opposed to maybe capping yourself out at 10. What's your advice to founders to as long as this is still in existence and the government doesn't get the algebra equation completely wrong and cancel it? What should they be doing? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a great point, and I I don't know how many founders end up you know receiving equity for those early investments in their own idea, you know, and and other than the equity their their founder shares, um, but it's it it brings up a great point that. You know, I know with our own company, I've put uh, money in and, yeah. you know, it, and that's uh, effectively the earliest investment in, in the company. Right. And so you, you, could, you could just say, go through the motions of uh, saying, I bought shares in the company that I founded in month three, month six, and month 12 <laughs> at a penny a share and our assets on the balance sheet are under 50 million. Let's start that clock ticking now. No ambiguity, no convertible note, safe nonsense. It is what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a great point. I The one thing founders should be aware of as well, like most founders receive restricted stock and with restricted stock, if you file an 83B election, it, the your QSBS clock will start when you file the 83B. So uh, that's one thing to keep in mind as a founder, in addition to ensuring that your stock, meet, your company meets the QSBS criteria to begin with. Well, Jonathan, I want people to get a hold of you. And it sounds like startups be wise to figure out what do they have to do to get a quick health examination for QSBS? What should they be saying to investors and how to ensure that they remain in compliance and good conduct to, uh, you know, if the government doesn't vote it out foolishly that uh, these people benefit and the jobs they create will hopefully pay more tax and we'll have more money to build infrastructure, you know, net, net of this. But qsbsexpert.com is that the website that's the website and then uh right on the home page you'll see uh, a link to our platform page and and companies could sign up for free where we have a freemium offering and it really just helps companies address okay do are we likely to qualify you know and let's go through the the basics and and see if we we check all the right boxes and and that to a large extent is what companies need early on they need to know okay does it look like we qualify what what actions would disqualify us so there's an educational component to this that we're uh, helping yeah. the the founders yeah. understand okay you know here are the things to be aware of so if you're going to take any of these actions let us know and we'll, you know, you're, you're at least made aware of the things that could jeopardize eligibility going forward. Um, and then there, um, there, there are upgrade options where, uh, you know, a, a company might need, uh, investors want a formal report or, you know, and, or the, the company, you know, wants to do a deeper analysis and monitor their user actual tax returns and monitor their compliance and uh, do ongoing rolling monitoring. So, so these are all various upgrades. Also, the the security uh, security by security class um, analysis is part of um, upgrade options. You know, and 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 you know QSBS is the hot topic right now but it's also it's not the only element we're looking at you know we're um we we've been discussing qsbs expert which is really the first product of our company which the formal name is cap gains inc and part of the reason for that is because qsbs is not the only tax uh incentive out there and but companies could qualify for other tax incentives that they're not even aware of. So mm. a, a perfect example is uh, opportunity zones, which uh, you yep. brought up as well. And which so has a lot of, of compliance to it. You got to make sure you don't change over time with a whole yeah. lot of things. You could easily yeah. screw that up. Yeah, the same similar to QSBS. You could easily screw it up, but it lends itself to assess it. Okay, are we a, an opportunity zone business to begin with? And then 
how do we continue to remain one? Like where are um, the employees as an example? Exactly. Yeah. You know, are and and so there are elements of it that we're uh, incorporating into the platform. So a company could be aware, okay, yeah, we're 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 QSPS qualified. Looks like we're opportunity zone qualified, and you know, other other tax incentives like that. And a question I wanted to ask you earlier was um, rolling over. So what do people need to know about? So um, I invest in the qualifying business. I hold it for five years in a day. That's perfect. But I'm pretty psyched if I can sell the business after two years, make a huge gain, and then roll it in to another one to reach a total of 10 years. It's like being on a green card H1B and you manage to move somewhere and not lose your place in the queue on getting your green card. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so what what there is, there's a provision connected to Section 1202, which is Qualified Small Business Stock. There's a, a sister provision, uh, Section 1045, that allows you to, exactly what you said, take your capital gain and roll it into another qualified small business and they call it tacking your holding period. So you held it for two years. Now you only have to hold the, the new investment for another three years. And then your, your uh, gain at that point would all be subject to the qualified small business stock e exemption. Now can you the, tack more than once? Can you, you can, you can. Um, <laughs> uh, but the, the, you know, part of the, the trick to this is, well, you only have 60 days to roll it over and uh -huh. it might, you know, sound like, well, you're a, a venture capitalist. So, you know, to, to identify a company, perform diligence on it, have them accept your investment, you know, all within 60 days could Talk be them out of a cap tough. of a convertible note into a priced round. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, so part of what we're doing is creating a, a large database of qualified small businesses. Oh, okay. And we have folks coming to us with, hey, I, I, I have uh, two weeks left to roll this gain yeah, over. We've done that with LPs. We've yeah. done it with individual LPs and gotten them into something to help them tack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's uh, what we're trying to formalize as well to, to create a process for for folks like that who are looking, you know, for those kind of opportunities. And it's great, you know, for the for the, uh, the company as well, because they're, they, you know, they're they're out there trying to fundraise and they're they're psyched to to find investors looking to roll over gains like that. Yeah, you guys might be interested at some point. Are you familiar with the investor visas? Like, uh, no. No, like, because with your database, that if you can identify that if an investor from like Turkey or Peru who wants to get his money out invests into a company located in San Francisco, they have to invest like a million bucks into a qualifying company. And now they have an investor visa, but they better hope they chose well because if that company goes bankrupt, then they're out. Whereas they can get their clock ticking towards their green card and become a citizen or just be allowed to have indefinite leave to remain, as the Brits would say. And then if it's in the middle of, I don't know, some part of North Dakota, 500K will do you. So they do 500K in that. But again, it better not go bust. It better meet all the criteria. 
there's probably a bunch of things that you guys could keep your eyes on that'd be really interesting and, and have a database that becomes suitable for all kinds of folks. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the areas we see this going as well, that like, how do you properly set yourself up to maximize for, you know, to 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 maximize for these potential uh, tax savings or various implications, like what's the best way to to maximize for it, and um, like those in, in, uh, investor visas that you're talking about, you know, there are similar benefits to entrepreneurs uh, who you know might come from a, another country to the U.S. setting up a business uh, to help. Um, speed up the the visa process and you know so there there are interesting tie-ins like that to drive innovation in america and so it's all all kind of one in the same you know what what's gonna spur innovation in this country and um helping you know a lot of it's gotten super complicated but our mission is basically to simplify that yeah and because if we the more we simplify it the more folks could take you know benefit from it and utilize these programs that the government's put out there well listen jonathan thank you so much for coming on uh great to go over this again with you and maybe we'll do an update uh if there's a change to the legislation or get an update on how your cap gains business and QSBS is evolving. Great. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Andrew.